Welcome to Hope Renewed, the podcast of PIR Ministries. Thanks for connecting to Hope Renewed, the in-depth podcast about pastoral renewal and restoration. I'm Tom Jameson, and along with co-host Sean Nemechek, we explore the issues and challenges pastors face and help cultivate a renewed hope for healthy ministry lives. Well, in 2011, pastor, professor, theologian, and author Eugene Peterson wrote a book that is simply titled The Pastor. Uh, In this memoir, Peterson recounts his journey of discovery and growth as a pastor and all that goes with it. And his voice has become one of hope to pastors around the world, not only through his writing, but through his life. And today on Hope Renewed, we are thrilled to talk with someone who has delved deeply into that hope-giving life. Yeah, our expert today uh, really uh, is is a friend of Eugene's and uh, somebody that knows him well. And uh, Wynn Collier was a pastor for 25 years and is the founding pastor of All Souls in Charlottesville. Uh, He now serves at Western Theological Seminary as the director of the Eugene Peterson Center for Christian Imagination and as an associate professor of pastoral theology and Christian imagination. He's also the director of the Genesis Project and the author of five books, including Holy Curiosity, uh, Love Big, Be Well. And uh, the book we're going to focus on today is his biography of Eugene Peterson, A Burning in My Bones. Wynn Collier, welcome to Hope Renewed. Well, thank you for having me. It's good to be chatting with you today. Yeah, we, we are excited to, to have you here. And as just context for our listeners, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and your ministry journey. Well, I'm the son of a pastor. My dad is still pastoring the same church in Waco, Texas that I was in as a, as a young boy. In fact, this February, we'll be coming to pa- Pastor Emeritus. And um, so I grew up, went to college, uh, went to seminary, was married to my wife, Miska. We have two boys, Wyatt and Seth. And I, uh, for the last 12 years, was the pastor of All Souls in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, we moved there from Clemson, South Carolina, where I was a pastor to, um, to help form that church, which I planned on, like that was my last stop was what I thought. But in a s- strange turn of events, um, we now live in Michigan and our family has moved here and uh, we're helping to form this, the Peterson Center and 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 teach in the, in the, in residence program as well. And it's been a, a long a meandering path at times, but, um, but here we are. I, I'm, I'm really intrigued to know the, the relationship between pastor and author. Uh, and did one precede the other, or did one grow out of uh, the other? The first time I remember really knowing that I wanted to write, I was probably seven or eight years old. And my mom gave me one of those little traveling typewriters from the fifties, mm. uh, the little Sanger ones that fold up into a, like a little case. And I don't know if she just gave it to me on a whim as a toy, or if she sort of knew something or saw something in me, but I immediately, um, she also gave me a, a, pap- a package of that onion skin typewriter paper. Mm. And, um, so I, I, I fed it into the, to the Sanger and, um, I started to immediately write my, my memoir, it was called uh, My Life, an Autobiography. And uh, I, got a, I got about half a page down and I ran out of material. So uh, that's awesome. <laughs> and a, a couple of years ago, I was going through 
uh, old boxes at my parents' house and happened to find an old blue Garfield uh, folder that still had that that memoir start wow. in it. And so, no, I I have always felt some deep connection to language and words and storytelling. Um, I would say professionally, it's been about 20 years. So I had actually started, I was in pastoral ministry once I started to publish, but it was more one of those things of this is who I am. And mm-hmm. for most of my, my, my ministry life, I've, I've thought, you know, I'm a pastor writer and it's hard for me to know which one influences the other the most. So I wouldn't be the pastor I am if I wasn't also a writer, if I didn't see the world in that way. And at the same time, I wouldn't be the writer, the kind of writer I am if I wasn't also a pastor. And Mm -hmm. that's one of the things that also um, drew me to Eugene. He was really probably the only other person I had encountered personally who, who really saw those things for himself as a dual vocation and they fed one another. And that's a little bit different from, you know, like just writing books or, or seeing it as a medium to work in, but sort of, sort of understanding your own vocation as, as a writer. Um, it's, it's a, it's a beautiful, lonely, terrifying part of existence. And, um, so I think that's a a way that I connected to Eugene. How, how did you come to meet him? Well, you know, for the longest time, it was just through letters. So my first book was, um, published by one of his publishers. And I, a couple of years prior to that, had been in a small struggling church. I was a young pastor. They'd been through, I think, two or three splits. Um, and one of the elders gave me one day, Sunday after church, gave me a copy of Working the Angles, The Shape of Pastoral Integrity. And he said, hey, when I think you're going to really like this. And I realized later he meant when I think you really need this. And uh, it gave me a language for what it meant to be a pastor. I mean, I, I just, for myself, I hadn't, I hadn't understood that and embraced that, even though I'd been around it and been through seminary and Bible college. And all of a sudden the world opened up to me and it felt deeply true and it felt reorienting. And um, so a couple of years later, I twisted this editor's arm to give me Eugene's address. And I started writing them letters and I thought I was so unique that Eugene was writing back um, <laughs> until, you know, 15 you and years John later. Orford, right? You're the <laughs> right? <laughs> That's right. Until, you know, 15 years later, I have literally thousands and thousands of letters in my basement uh, when I'm doing the biography work. And I'm realizing, man, I don't have any idea how this man with no administrative help whatsoever mm-hmm. responded to this many people. Wow. But he became a pastor to me. In fact, I... I remember the day that I asked him in a letter, I was like, Eugene, I don't really have a pastor. Would you be my pastor? I know it's not perfect, but you know, he said yes. And so um, that was, that's how it began. And, and this uh, initiative at, at Western Seminary, uh, the Eugene Peterson Center for Christian Imagination, what, what is that all about? What do you hope to accomplish there? Well, at least in these early days, I think it's important to uh, say, even at the outset, what we're not trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not trying to mimic Eugene or build a mausoleum to Eugene. Um, nothing would be more dishonoring to his mm-hmm. life and his work than that posture. And he might, you know, rise from the grave and grab somebody <laughs> by the throat. But I, I do, I do believe that, that Eugene was a witness to a particular um, way of life and more importantly, a witness to God. And 
we're, I think, in a desperate moment for people of quiet and simple faithfulness. Mm. And spending years in his journals and talking to interviewing people over the span of sort of every stage of his life, he was far from perfect. And, um, you know, we talk about that in the biography, but he was someone who was true. And I think we're really desperate for some people who, who have lived faithful and true and have recognized at least a fair number of our idols and, and spoken to them. And there were three, I would say, groups of people that I, I see of as, as people who are constantly drawn to Eugene and, and found hope in his witness. And one was pastors. I, I just don't think there's another pastor in the last 50 to 75 years who we will look back on as having had more impact or um, clarity and helping us to see again what it means to be a pastor than Eugene. And he did this because it, it welled out of the depths of his own heart. This is who he was. This was not a job, a vocation. I just mean just a, a job or a task. It was a deep part of who he was and his calling in the world. And um, the second group of people were just people that I would call artists and creatives. I mean, people who are poets and musicians and, and writers and, and um, sculptors and painters, they just, they were just always around Eugene and Eugene was around them. And I think there was something in our, you know, sort of modernistic world that the artists see and hear about the gospel and about Jesus and about the church and about hope and future and creation that, that we've just lost massive touch with. And, um, but Eugene saw that the way Eugene um, ennobled that work and the way that Eugene read scripture, it, it all was of, of, a, of, a, of, uh, it was seamless. And um, so they were flocking to Eugene. And then the third is kind of a, an amorphous group, but I just call it um, hopeful, trying to be faithful, but mostly befuddled Christians. And <laughs> sounds like um, everybody else. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> but I do think it's people who are, are, are aware of those things mm-hmm. um, as opposed to just sort of blithely um, doubling down on the machine and, mm-hmm. you know, and so at the Peterson Center, we hope to continue conversations and to begin to continue to be a witness in those arenas. And so we have spaces of conversation and friendship that we're helping to, to start for pastors. We're um, doing some of the same for um, artists and creatives and, and um, have different kinds of gatherings that we're helping to, to form. We had a beautiful concert a couple months ago uh, in November to, to start the Peterson Center with this beautiful creative music and we're having an art gallery in, in January with a wonderful artist named Joel Shuntanis. And, and uh, in April, we're going to have uh, Leif Inger um, here. Um, he's a novelist and a friend. And just talk about beauty. And all these things point back to the God of beauty. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then we're starting an annual gathering in next October called Doxology, which is going to be trying to... Um, do what the name says, which is point to God. And as simple as it sounds and as, as uh, elementary as it is, I think we are in deep and dire need to return to God again, mm-hmm. to, for God to be the burning center of our existence and the stories mm-hmm. that we tell and the life that we live and the hopes that we have. And I think we have a massive amount of God language and God's stuff 
and God arguments. Um, but I think we need God. <laughs> and uh, so we hope to just create simple, quiet, hopeful, beautiful spaces that participate in that work. Well, that's such important work. And uh, I'm so excited to see where this is, this is going to go and what God's going to do through this center. Uh, your biography of Eugene, uh, A Burning in My Bones, I'm telling everybody this is the best book I've read this year. Um, mm. it's, it's just so well-crafted, and the stories uh, just kind of bring Eugene to life. Uh, how did you come to write this book? Tell us a story about that. In 2016, I was taking a pastoral retreat to Montana, and I, I went to see Eugene and Jan. And on the way back, flying back, I was thinking, and it was obvious to me how his health was beginning to deteriorate. And I thought somebody is going to write his story one of these days. And I, I don't remember exactly all my thought process at the time. I, I mean, because I'm a writer, because he's a great subject. I mean, I know that in mixing with all of this was, hey, I would like to do it. But there was also a broader um, concern and hope of thinking about how somebody would tell his story. I love biographies. I, I think they're beautiful. Um, but man, there's just nothing worse than a bad biography that, <laughs> you know, reads like a kind of a, a textbook of facts, yeah. you know, without artistry. And and Eugene, given his own love for language and the, and the, and the way he took great, great care with the sentences that he wrote and the stories that he told, I just thought it would be a real shame if, if someone didn't do that with his biography. But even more than that, I, th I think what I wanted was there to be someone who would tell his story, who could do more than pull together the facts and details of his life, but could actually understood the way Eugene thought mm. so that they could, at least as much as is possible in something like this, they could imbibe who Eugene was and embody that in the narrative. And so I, you know, and I and also just hoped that that Eugene's life could stand on its own and not be, you know, in the Christian world, most everybody thinks Eugene belongs to their camp. Um, and I just, I thought it would be really important to, to let Eugene be Eugene, <laughs> mm -hmm. not Eugene seen through only the filters of our given, you know, assumptions um so i got back told a good friend of mine who's an editor at a publishing house and i said you know i just told him what i was thinking and he knew eugene as well and he said well you should tell eugene and i said the last thing in the world eugene cares about is having a biography written about him <laughs> and my friend said i know but you would be sad if you didn't at least tell him your thoughts which is true because he had resisted for a long time, even writing his memoir. I mean, he, he just didn't want to do it. And so I wrote him this letter and there's a biographer, a biography of a Scottish pastor um, a couple centuries ago named Alexander, the life of Alexander White. Mm -hmm. And Eugene kept that, uh, that biography close, read it multiple times. That biography became for him a tutor in what it meant to be a pastor. And I, I told Eugene all of my thoughts about how someone was going to tell his story, how I hope someone would know it, know who he was and how he thought. And that I hoped that maybe there'd be a few pastors along the way that what this biography of Alexander White did for, them, for him 
that his story would do for some others. A couple of weeks later, he calls me up and you know, when, what, what's this about? And so I basically walked him through it again. And I said, Eugene, does this make you tired or does this give you energy? And he said, when it makes me tired. And I just assumed that was the end of it, but we kept talking and five or 10 minutes later, he said, when I think I have energy now, I think you're supposed to do this. <laughs> so, so, I, so off we went for the next three and a half years. Wow. One, you know, one of the things I love about this biography is it's obvious you knew Eugene well, uh, you tell the stories honestly, but with a tenderness toward him uh, that really comes through. Um, what was Eugene like as a person and pastor? And what, what's your favorite story about Eugene? You know, in some ways, I would say Eugene was unremarkable. You talk about being an ordinary pastor, and then that itself kind of becomes its own thing. Mm -hmm. But it just was true. I mean, he just, he just was himself. And over the years, I think the simple potency of encountering someone who was increasingly learning to just be themselves and who they truly were themselves was someone who was undone and overwhelmed by God. <laughs> that it wasn't a task. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a, something that was put on because he was a pastor. So he needed to do these things. It wasn't it, there was just a deep and abiding sense that he he is someone who'd been transformed by the presence and the love of the one who's father, son, and spirit. I don't know how to say it any more than that. Um, when you're with him, he was often very quiet. I mean, it wasn't like he was removed, but he didn't he didn't feel the need to carry a conversation. The kind of anxieties that I am aware of in myself when I feel like I need to kind of make small talk. If he just didn't. I mean, his words had weight, he would contribute, but he also just, he, he came out of a really deep place and he also laughed. I mean, his, his laughter was powerful. His, his eyes were bright. His smile would just sort of pull you in. Um, he was very unpretentious. He really disliked the limelight and the celebrity of, uh, he was always at odds with it in himself, even as he became to be so well-known. It's refreshing to be around someone who could name those things, grapple with them. I don't know that I have a favorite story. Um, I mean, just right at this moment, two things come to mind. One is that when I was reading his journals for, for the biography and the first time I read him write like a little prayer in one of his daily entries, he said, uh, God, Lord, make me a saint. And, uh, tears came to my eyes the moment I read it and uh, I'm not sure I can completely explain in a conversation like this why that is the case and I think some people might hear that line and almost be turned off by it because it could found, sound self-aggrandizing but this was this was not words spoken in public this was words spoken in the private place of a journal and this is a prayer I read in his journal over and over and over again and yet even his kids never heard him they they were surprised to hear that. They'd never heard that phrase out of his mouth. But this was the this was the uh, the beating heart of a man who'd walked with God for decades and decades, and had been deeply immersed in the Scripture, the history of the church, and his 
profound heart was that God would make him so transformed by the love of Christ that he, um, that he was like Jesus. And that felt immensely true as I was reading in his biography. That was his heart's cry. I think another story is one that I uh, just heard recently, actually. He and Jan were in a house of, of um, some, some friends, and there was someone there. Uh, this, I'm trying to remember what year this would have been. This would have been, I don't know, a while back because it was, they, were, they were unfamiliar with the internet. <laughs> they were unfamiliar with how you could go to Google and you could type in your name and things would come up. <laughs> All kinds and, of things. Uh, right. <laughs> so this, this person was, was telling Jan and Eugene this. And, you know, Jan, she's such a curious person. She was just so fascinated. She was like, well, let's, let's put in Eugene's name and let's see what comes up. And they're all sitting on the couch. <laughs> and so this, this fellow types in Eugene Peterson, hits search. And I guess he's in the middle with a computer on his lap, laptop. And he hits search or enter. And, you know, all the stuff just starts to fill up the page. And... Eugene reflexively and immediately leans over, grabs the front of the laptop, closes it, um, stands up and walks out of the room. And um, a couple hours later, apparently was back around the same people. And he he just said, um, you know, I hope that wasn't abrupt, but I have enough trouble as it is with my ego. I don't need to be paying any attention to what people I don't even know say about me. That says a lot about who wow. he was. Uh, there, there are a couple things bubbling my mind. One is um, how horrified I would be if somebody read my journals. <laughs> so, <laughs> for, you know, uh, but that that leads to the other thing. I think uh, the word I'm thinking is authenticity, but uh, it's even a deeper sense. And uh, I don't know if this would be the appropriate word, but a, a purity or a saintliness. Uh, of his pursuit of God that is reflected in his writings, reflected in his, um, uh, even the the private things you were able to look at that uh, were just, there was an integrity to all of that, that allowed him to close a computer and say, no, I don't, I don't need to go there uh, because, uh, you know, I'm pursuing something else. And I don't need to pursue that. Uh, as, as you look at that, how did that impact you personally uh, as a pastor, as an author, as a, as a follower of Jesus? Well, I think it gave me deep hope that it's possible mm. to live a deeply human and deeply holy life in this world. Mm. That's what I yearn for myself, but I don't see tons of encouragement out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think you know, we have, you know, let's just, let's just say in the, in the religious world, we have, you know, a lot of movements that are starting to feel like they're embracing our humanity better, however we might describe that. But sometimes it feels really empty, like there's not this deep holiness. Like, and by that, I mean a deep awareness of God, mm-hmm. um, a deep awareness that this world is sacred and that God is doing something in the world and that the center character in the story is not me, but God. And that um, the world and every human shimmers with a deep radiance that's more than um, just 
the stories in my heart, but that God is present and doing something and it changes the way I see the world. But then, you know, in certain spaces in the religious world, you still have people that maybe talk a lot about what some would call holiness. And, and there's, you know, maybe initially kind of a, a draw into that, but then you sort of get immersed in it and you realize, wait, where's the humanness? Like, <laughs> I don't know how this, and, and I'm, and I believe that holiness separated from humanness or humanness separated from holiness uh, is distorted. Um, that these, in the person of Jesus in the incarnation, uh, these things are forever wound and bound to one another. So I, I found in Eugene one example, and I know there are many out there, uh, but just one example of this, 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 this can happen. And it's mm-hmm. not, I mean, in some sense, it's extraordinary because it's so beautiful and it's so, you know, we, we miss it so much. But on the other hand, it's Im- immensely ordinary. Um, it's just everyday faithfulness, love for God, love for other humans, uh, expecting to find grace in the, the, the wonders of this world and that God's present there and it's God who's present there. Um, and so I think I needed that and it, invited me to keep to keep pursuing to keep hoping to keep moving and to follow in that vein and and what i mean how deeply that's needed as you said before in in a a world that is pulling in so many different directions as we work at pir with with pastors a a lot of our work does um, bring us to those places of deep hurt and pain particularly in the the toll that pastoral ministry can take on an individual. Are there particular stories that, that you have about Eugene that speak about finding hope as a pastor uh, when all these other burdens just seem to be overwhelming? Yeah. I mean, he went through about a six-year period he called the Badlands, which was a ongoing wrestling with his vocation, his place, uh, with his frustrations, with the culture in which he was pastoring. He didn't love being in the suburbs. I mean, he was, he was a Montana man. He loved it. And he went to call a uh, university. He went to seminary in New York city. And while he struggled there too, I think there was, there was something that was stimulating about intellectually. So he, you know, he'd rather be in Montana, but if he wasn't gonna be in Montana, he would want to be in the heart of cultural center. And, you know, he felt like he's kind of stuck in the suburbs and, and I think there's something about the fact that it was six to six and a half years. I mean, it wasn't a couple months <laughs> and it wasn't something that was going to, a sabbatical was going to fix. And I'm all for sabbaticals, but it was something that was a, a, a really deep and profound churning of who he was. And one thing that is fascinating is one of the things that a lot of pastors have taken as wisdom from Eugene is his, his persistent call to to stay within a place to be committed to the place where you are to not to to resist wanderlust to certainly resist the corporate mentality that's invaded pastoral ministry of always sort of moving up the ladder if you will so you know it's not that a pastor should never leave but the pastor shouldn't assume the posture is always leaving and yet in his some of his earliest years i mean he tried to leave uh, there was a church he wanted to go to and he was down at one of the two candidates and he didn't get picked. And in some of his letters back home to his mom, you know, he would talk about that. And 
the disappointment. And so I think it's grace. Eugene loved the novel. He loved many, many novels, but one of them was The Diary of a Country Priest. And the, the priest is, through the course of the book, you know, spoiler alert, he's dying. And the very final uh, words uttered out of his mouth, the priest, on the last pages of the novel, um, as he's on his dying bed, the, the last words that come out, his last breath is, grace is everywhere. And I think when Eugene and I were talking about this and Eugene used that phrase, I think this was one of the center um, truths that, that Eugene believed is that grace is everywhere and grace is in the badlands. And we try to escape to, to a place and if in places of pain as a pastor, in places where we feel all the burden of these assumptions or expectations, if we simply participate in that, um, if we don't believe that grace covers us and carries us in spite of, if we think we have to respond to all these things, meet all these expectations, heal all these wounds, be in a certain place, in order to be a, you know, a, a meaningful pastor, that's a crushing, crushing weight to live under. But if grace carries us and it really is grace, um, if it's everywhere, <laughs> even in the badlands, um, I think that's, that's a hopeful and reorienting truth. In your book, you talk about uh, so many of the just amazing connections Eugene had with some pretty famous people. And uh, you also talk about some of his struggles uh, to, uh, to get published and how even he resigned from the church at one point out of frustration. But I, I think one of the, the things that struck me the most is how you actually talk about some of the temptations and some of the darker parts of his story. Um, why is is that important to you as, as a biographer? Why is it important to your readers to include those dark parts? Well, one, one reason is that as a, as a Christian, um, we are supposed to tell the truth. Mm -hmm. And so we have for, for too long tried to present facades and images, and I think it's destroying us. Mm -hmm. And so Part of it is just plain Christian conviction. Um, part of it is artistry. Uh, good writing requires truth-telling. It would be really disingenuous to talk about being truly human if I then covered up the parts, parts of being truly human that all of us know are there in us in one way or the other um, in order to try to pass along propaganda. Another reason is uh, Eugene's life and witness was about um, being, being your true self before God and uh, resisting the fascination with image and ego and mm -hmm. celebrity. And the only reason why you would sort of try to polish over something is because you're trying to maintain some kind of celebrity or ego. So it would be massively um, uh, disconnected from Eugene's own convictions. At the same time, there is also, I think, an equal danger in our contemporary moment 
to create a kind of voyeuristic, you know, like, let's just find the, the one mm-hmm. tantalizing, you know, um, you can so Google I, for that. Right. <laughs> yeah. So I had zero interest in that. Right. Um, but we are all, we all struggle. Um, the best of us, <laughs> the saints among us, you know, and so that's just part of the story. And I, and I don't, we shouldn't be shocked or surprised. And, uh, and, and did you find in, in those struggles, uh, a growth, uh, a greater, deeper understanding of the grace of God, of, uh, the, you know, the redemptive value of pain? Yeah. You know, you know, one of the struggles, um, which is be in his fatherly relationships. Um, he was a very devoted father, but Eric particularly at times felt like his dad wasn't as present as he needed his dad to be. Mm. Um, and yet, you know, that, you know, as, as a dad myself, you know, that, that's, that's a painful thing to, mm. to grapple with. And I often wonder what kind of wounds I'm inflicting on my sons, mm. but walking with Eric through those things and having multiple conversations with him and it actually for myself was even a place of, of healing because Eric was unflinchingly honest about some of the pain at the same time um, was also said with equal integrity. My dad is the um, deepest, most beautiful man. I know hmm. he's my hero. Wow. Um, if I could be half of the person he was in the world, I would give thanks to God, you know, and I just, and there was no sense of fluff in that because he had all, all, already <laughs> been unblinkingly unblink, <laughs> honest about some of the pain. Yeah. And I, but, but the reason I, I think a large part of that was because of who Eugene was and because Eugene over the years, when these things would get named to him, he didn't resist that. Like he didn't, he didn't go defensive and try to say, oh, that didn't happen. Or, you know, he wouldn't gaslight it. He's like, oh, and he would, he would take that in. And Grace had done such a work in his heart that he could hear these things and he could engage them and he could ask for forgiveness. And at the end of the day, I really think that's all that's needed. <laughs> um, the damage comes not always just in the initial, you know, wrong, but it's in the, the inability, unwillingness, refusal to address it once it's been named. Mm-hmm. And so there was something deeply healing in me to encounter um, Eric's profound gratitude for his father and deep respect, admiration, and love that went through pain to get there. I think that's a story that so many pastor's kids can relate to. I was a pastor's kid. I've also been a pastor. Um, Boy, that, that, wanting dad to be around more and be more available is a, is such a common thread but the way um the way you relate to these these stories not just this one but so many of, of eugene's struggles uh as a pastor as a as a human being they're hope giving just in the fact that that here's somebody who is honestly wrestling with god with himself with his relationships and yet maintains this grace and hope. I, I just found these, these darker parts, these struggles to, to be incredibly healing for me to read. That's good to hear. 
Yeah, there, there's some sense of being able to find the wisdom and the courage to to take it in, to not be defensive, to to reflect on that, uh, and and then to grow uh, through through grace and, and forgiveness. Uh, yeah, how hope giving. Mm-hmm. So, what's next for you? Um, are you uh, working on any new books or focusing on the Eugene Peterson Center? What What's next for Win Collier? Yeah. Well, since I'm a writer, there's always books uh, <laughs> uh, going around in the head. I haven't, I haven't, I don't have clarity yet about um, the next step, but there's, there's ideas that are mm. always floating around, but yeah, lot, lots of attention to the Peterson Center and helping this particular community get, get formed and, and moving. So um, life is definitely full. Mm. Well, it's exciting to hear the center uh, gaining some traction and and just uh, beginning up. How can people learn more about uh, the the center uh, for Christian imagination, the Eugene Peterson Center for Christian Imagination, and and about you? Yeah, uh, probably the best way would be our website. So, petersoncenter.org. Org. They can sign up on our email list or find out information about doxology that's coming up or other things that we're doing. And for me personally, just go to my, my writing site, which is my name, Wynn Collier, W-I-N-N-C-O-L-L-I-E-R.com. And I have some writings there and a, you can sign up for emails that go out every so often when a, a new piece lands or something or announcements about anything that's coming up. Well, when we want to just, again, uh, express our gratitude for this book and for, um, you know, just your heart for pastors, um, what words of hope would you like to offer to pastors and their families? Don't be afraid. God's love is more powerful than you know. And we're probably tired of hearing this, but this really is, I think, the most unnerving time of disequilibrium. Everything seems to be falling apart and things seem to be realigning and it's, it's an immensely challenging time to be a voice of good news and to be someone who is grounded in the love of Christ, not the anxieties of this moment. And so I would say, don't be afraid, trust the voice of love, find friendship return to play because God is at play in the universe. God's heart is abundant with laughter and beauty and joy. It's um, precisely in the moments, I think, where the world seems to be burning that we need to find the joy again. Not, Not in any way as a denial of the very real uh, disorder around us, but actually as, um, a way of returning to God in the midst of it. So lament and joy together. And God deeply loves you. Great word. Yeah. Thank you so much for taking the time and being generous uh, with your time for our listeners. Um, it's just been great to meet you and uh, to have you on the, the podcast. So thanks again. Yeah, thanks, Wayne. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate your work.
And as always, we invite you, our listeners, to rate and review Hope Renewed in iTunes or your favorite podcast app and to share this podcast with your friends on social media. It's a great way to help us continue to bring hope to others. Thanks for joining us today. It is our prayer that you are filled with all hope in Christ. PIR Ministries partners with God and the church in the work of pastoral renewal and restoration to cultivate new hope for healthy ministry lives. You can learn more about us at our webpage, pirministries.org, or email us at info at pirministries.org. Thanks for joining us for Hope Renewed, and remember, the hope Christ offers will never put us to shame.